I think that people are definitely going through trauma. And what I find is that the experience is so unique for each person. But we are seeing that everything that has happened externally now is really affecting us. I mean, I've even felt it. This is Tracy Feinstein, a volunteer counsellor for SADAG, the South African Depression and Anxiety Group. For the last seven or eight years, she has worked with the group in different ways, mostly as a volunteer for their hotline to listen to people's problems and try to support them. This year, amid a global pandemic, her work has changed. The people calling are having a harder time, and she's hearing common threads between their experiences and also her own. I live alone. I would consider myself quite a strong person. Got my stuff together. And if I take what I've had in my whole life, I would say I'm cool and I'm, I'm really okay. Despite this, Feinstein found herself reacting really strongly to small things, like when she sent a Zoom link for an intimate call with a friend to several people accidentally. That triggered me completely. In that, I was stressed out. I burst into tears. It really was like a mini panic attack. And it's not my kind of behavior, you know. And that's kind of what I'm seeing coming through with the callers. Is people are, they're starting to use the terminology and saying, I think I'm having an anxiety attack. Or I think I'm, I'm, I'm really stressed out. Or I'm battling with depression. And when you talk to them on the phone you begin to realize there's nothing extreme happening in their life. It's part of the new normal during lockdown. This is the Undark Podcast. I'm Lydia Chang. Sometimes a community goes through something so traumatic that the event leaves a societal scar. It's not just the sum of each individual person's struggle with their own private trauma. It's bigger than that. Psychologists call this collective or communal trauma, and it can impact the psyche and culture of the group itself, sometimes spanning generations. As the COVID-19 pandemic is unfolding, so too are the psychological effects. Some of these effects, like anxiety over a job or grief over a lost loved one, impact individuals. But collective trauma researchers say that this is the kind of event that will have widespread and long-lasting impacts on society. They're trying to study and ease this trauma as it unfolds, all while suffering through the pandemic themselves. Elna Schutz has the story. The SADAG helplines are manned by a variety of people, including psychological professionals like registered counsellor Katie Jorgensen, who also has a private practice. And she says not only are more patients reaching out to her, but the calls are more intense. Suicide calls have increased hugely in my private practice, away from the, you know, the SADAG lines as well. Suicide's huge at the moment. And it's almost that feeling of not in control of the situation so much has changed and that you know relates for all different demographics in South Africa 
it's a change in nature of calls, but also a change in the aggravating factors of the call itself. Jorgensen says that previous traumas are also compounding people's mental health struggles. Gender-based violence has increased hugely in South Africa during this lockdown and during the COVID pandemic, which has increased the PTSD that individuals are feeling, you know, just in terms of previous traumas that they've gone through, which have now been re-triggered by certain incidents, as well as now new triggers. These new triggers are manifold. Like much of the world, South Africa was hard hit by the pandemic and clamped down to try to control it. A hard lockdown over several months meant almost no freedom of movement except for essential tasks and even a ban of the sale of alcohol and tobacco. There were also significant job losses, with over 2 million South Africans losing their employment between April and June. You can't go out. You can't go anywhere, you can't see any of your friends, you can't drink alcohol, as well as the financial pressures. Literally, you've got people now who are not able to smoke. That trauma is huge as well. I'm fortunate enough that I don't live alone, but a lot of callers do. And that aloneness was huge to try and understand. Amina Mwaikambo is a psychosocial and trauma professional at the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation, the CSVR, in Johannesburg. She's used to working with traumatized migrants and even torture victims. Typically, when you're working with people, you're challenging them to face the hard parts in their lives so that they can go through it, they can understand it, they can make meaning of it. Like Feinstein and Jorgensen, she says that one of the challenges of being a mental health professional during this time is that she's sharing the experience with her clients. And essentially, there have been times when, you know, we've had to sit with the discomfort. We've had to sit with the inability to do what you want to do, the inability to to make meaning of something right now. I mean, I've never been a therapist in a pandemic, so this is also new but i've had to then sit and say this is uncomfortable here i don't feel like i know exactly what's happening you know it's been quite a big learning curve that life is for the most part quite unpredictable everyone has been affected because this pandemic isn't just causing lots of individual separate experiences of trauma many psychologists think there's something bigger Elna, can you hear me? Just lost you for a minute, yes. Numfundo Mohapi is the executive director at the CSVR. She took my call from her car for a little quiet. The pandemic had hit her family and she was out of town for the funeral. I'm very passionate about, you know, my country and my continent. And I can see how asleep we are to this. I can see the trauma all around me. But yet I know that I can't reach out to everyone. Mohapi has been studying trauma for years, but at a different scale than the kind of individual trauma that the counselors described earlier. Collective trauma is when an event or change in the society is so damaging that it changes the group itself. So the idea of the collective trauma comes from an understanding that just as much as individuals can be traumatized, which is usually the perspective within the post-traumatic stress disorder field, there is an increasing acknowledgement that collectives can also be traumatized. So this could be at a family level, 
community level, societal level, and now we are even learning that you could even, as a whole world actually, based on what we are seeing with the pandemic, be able to have a collective trauma. You see, trauma of any kind isn't just about the fact that something bad happened, but how it affects reactions and behavior long term. We enter the territory of collective trauma when there is this sense of a shared experience that we are all experiencing this together. And it actually manifests itself in most of our conversations, whether it's in the media, how we talk to each other, how we engage with each other, how we deal with societal issues. Think about it this way. Someone who is traumatized in a situation with a gunshot may react badly to balloons popping or doors slamming, even years later when the threat is gone. Small things represent the big thing from the past. With a collective trauma, the same thing happens on a larger scale. The theory has been applied to things like the Holocaust and 9-11, and here in South Africa, the apartheid system stripped one group of people of their dignity and rights and gave all the power to the other group. Mohapi gives an example of how the past collective trauma can be seen during the pandemic. So one of the key issues of our historical trauma was this concept of othering. And we are seeing it now. I mean, the stigmatization of people who test positive, the othering of I cannot trust you, the deepening of xenophobic issues that we had in the past. Race is playing its part also because the people in the townships are saying, yeah, it's the white people and the rich that are bringing this thing to us because we don't travel. Mohapi says these narratives of past trauma can become part of how a community relates to itself longer term, from social media to personal interactions. You could have a traumatic event where people have experienced extreme losses but they have never really mourned the loss or dealt with the loss. And when that loss and that painful experience has not been processed, then it becomes a collective trauma and a chosen trauma for that particular group. And this can be transferred from one generation to the next, where, I mean, in South Africa, we talk about apartheid as a particular chosen trauma that is now being transferred to our children, and it's going to be transferred to the next generation until we find a way to be able to deal with it. Mohapi speaks about chosen trauma, which is a subcategory of sorts to collective trauma theory. This, of course, doesn't mean that a group chose to experience a trauma, but just that a particular event has long-lasting effects because it hasn't been dealt with. This could happen with the COVID-19 pandemic in that it becomes a pain or trauma that the society keeps referring back to and not healing from the negative consequences. But Mohapi says that the world is also likely going to develop another type of collective trauma called cultural trauma. And there's a school of thought that talks about cultural trauma. And this one really focuses more not just on a chosen trauma that has not been mourned, but the nature of change. That there are certain experiences and changes that are so quick and so rapid that they completely change the culture of a certain society. And that results into cultural trauma. And I mean, definitely if we look at COVID-19, that is exactly what it has done for us. You could look at it resulting into this cultural trauma. It's like everything we've known 
around how to be in the world, all the assumptions that we've heard about how the world is supposed to interact have just been pulled under our feet and we don't know where to stand. Think back to all of the individual examples the councillors gave earlier and how the pandemic has changed normal ways of being. The government took greater control, information about the disease was rapidly changing and at times confusing, and social interactions changed because they could be medically dangerous. The specific manifestation of this cultural trauma may only be clear looking back in years to come, but other collective traumas have shown that the effects can linger over several generations. I think one of the issues about the coronavirus and the COVID pandemic is that there is a sense that actually nobody is immune from infection. This is Gillian Eagle, a psychology professor at the University of the Witwatershund. She has been looking at how trauma and violence exist in South Africa since the 1980s, and she was one of the people to develop the WITS trauma model, which is a framework still used today in the treatment of individual trauma cases. Nobody can completely necessarily protect themselves from becoming infected, and they can't entirely predict what the outcome of that will be in terms of severity. So I think people are carrying an enormous amount of anxiety. Eagle says that this kind of anxiety, which interlinks with collective trauma, is also called continuous traumatic stress, which describes the psychological impact of living with a realistic threat of continued danger, rather than just the experience of a past threat. Over the last few months, this has been there constantly in the background of the nation's psyche. As individuals and as a society, people are bracing for long-term effects. But in addition to that, I think there is something about the sense of having to endure something which you have no uh, real control over in terms of when that period of time will end that is also creating in people a response that's probably closer to something like burnout um, in the sense that I think people are developing fatigue, irritability, that the ability to go on being kind of cheerful or optimistic or phlegmatic or supportive of other people is, is kind of wearing out a bit. While there may be some comfort in a shared experience, even in a trauma, Eagle says it can also make it harder for someone to seek and get support from their network, since everyone is already burdened. She also notes that the traumatic event can divide a society even further. One of the things I think one has to take account of is that I think at the same time that we're all being affected, COVID is also contributing to divisions in society, so both globally and locally. So while we share the anxiety around being infected, the harm that comes to people who who get infected, the disruption to lifestyle, I think in South Africa it's also highlighting a lot of the divisions in society in relation particularly to wealth and poverty and who can keep themselves protected from the virus more easily than people, for example, who have to use public transport or live in circumstances in which it's almost impossible to physically isolate. Eagle says that in the early days of the pandemic, there was a sense of solidarity and hope in the country. 
By mid-July, South Africa was in the top five countries in the world in terms of confirmed cases, and she says as the country reached its infection peak, the psychological effects deepened. I wrote to someone the other day, I feel like I'm running an endurance race that I didn't sign up for in the first place, and I don't know when it's going to end. I think people are still trying to draw on that sense of resilience, but I think we started off from a low base to overgeneralize, but I think South Africans in general were already somewhat disillusioned, somewhat yeah, battered a bit by the kind of socioeconomic and political issues in the country. Eagle is implying that the pandemic is cutting deeper into divisions in the society and perhaps even making the hardships more difficult to deal with. Mohapi says this can be seen in how South Africans are reacting to the pandemic. What we are seeing is that COVID-19 has exacerbated already existing problems in a number of societies. In CSVR, we have been talking about fault lines, you know, of our democracy, which were really sort of unresolved issues of the past. And we are seeing increased sort of conflict between the citizens and governments. There's just complete lack of trust. Anything that's been done is looked at with suspicion. It therefore becomes difficult for us to have a social contract around how to respond to COVID-19. Researchers like Mohapi and Eagle have understood collective traumas looking back at them. But this one is unfolding right now. Some psychologists are just beginning the process of studying the effects of pandemic-related trauma, beginning with individuals. For instance, the WorkWell Research Unit at Northwest University and its commercial arm, AfriForte, have studied signs of pre-traumatic stress since April and have created tools that employers can use to support their staff. They collaborated with SADAG for part of this work. Pre-TSD is when someone shows classic PTSD symptoms before anything has happened to them. Afriforte's managing director, Ina Rothman, explains some of what they saw in a sample size of almost 1,700 people. What we found is that compared to the norm, and these are all employed people, 46% of the sample were at high risk of pre-traumatic stress. And for 28% of the sample, pre-traumatic stress symptoms are combined with stress-related physical ill health symptoms. These individuals are particularly at risk of future mental health and physical health risks, you know, such as depressive disorders and changes in blood pressure, blood glucose and cholesterol levels, making them more susceptible for heart disease and diabetes and even obesity. So almost half of people were showing signs that they were at high risk of pre-TSD and psychological distress. This wasn't just a mindset. Their bodies were showing symptoms like headaches and sleep problems because of this stress. But Rothman and the team weren't just looking at negatives. They found that despite all of this, only a small amount of the sample were experiencing total despair. We confirmed the protective effect of hope on stress experiences because as hope levels increase for the sample, experiences of pre-traumatic symptoms decrease. Rothman concluded from her research that people who were able to focus on positive things did directly experience less negativity. 
Again, this research wasn't about collective trauma, but rather the individuals. But she says it's an indicator that something collective is unfolding. And this is such an important finding, meaning that if we can encourage hope in these times, such as normalizing fears and emphasizing the non-permanency of our current situation, we can mitigate pre-traumatic stress experiences and perhaps protect the future mental health of people. Rothman's findings share a similar theme to Mohapi's extensive work in collective trauma for the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation about what could help a collective heal. Those who do neuropsychology talk about, you know, the elasticity of the brain and the capacity of the brain when the right things are put in place to actually recover, even from what is considered to be the most horrendous experiences. But there's a number of things that need to be in place. She says the first is an awareness of the collective trauma, acknowledging what has happened and what has changed. And governmental and community leadership is critical. For instance, she says if grieving families were better informed of restrictions around funeral size, these changes may be easier to handle. Mohapi is working with government structures on resilience and mental well-being programs, but she says the healing happens on every level of leadership. If we can start with leaders and families, we would have already done a lot of work. Because when leadership is healed, they have the capacity to make the traumatic experience bearable. They can become containers of the pain. They can become the ones who actually facilitate a healing environment that helps people to deal with the pandemic. South Africa's daily new COVID-19 cases have steadily dropped since the peak around August, and there's no strong indication currently of a second wave. Life is returning to a kind of normal, with the lockdown currently in its lowest stage, although escalation in the future is possible. But the effect on society may be long-lasting. Collective trauma can't just be dragged into a hospital room and treated. Researchers like Mohapi hope that by understanding the trauma more and by working with the collective as best they can, an entire society could find healing. You know, I've been working with trauma for the past 20 years. And I work in an organization that specializes in working with trauma. And I have just been amazed at them capacity of the human psyche and the human soul, so to say, to just heal. Elna, thanks for joining us on the show. Hi, Lydia. Thank you. So as you were reporting this piece out, was there anything that surprised you? As a journalist, you want a great case study for every story. You want somebody who's been affected by something. And for this story, that was really difficult because I can't put the entire society in front of a microphone. And so um, I made this choice to speak to the people who are hearing the trauma, who are hearing the, the battles and the toughness of this time. And I very much assumed, I very much assumed that these psychologists, these counselors that you've heard in this piece would be incredibly fatigued. 
because um, we know that compassion fatigue is a problem in general with psychological professions, but now they are going through the same issues as their clients. So I really was expecting to hear a lot of them being tired of them saying it is so hard to hear trauma when I myself am going through a trauma. And yet I heard the opposite. Even though they were tired, even though they were um, feeling the effects of the situation very deeply, when I asked them about fatigue and how it was affecting their ability to be there for other people, almost all of them said to me some version of, I feel like I'm a better psychologist because we're going through the same thing, or I feel that I truly understand, or I um, I already had learned how to take care of myself. I just have to learn how to do that better. And so I was very pleasantly surprised to hear that um, even the people who are sort of carrying the pain and holding the pain as a society um, are finding a way to be compassionate towards this very unusual situation that we're in psychologically. In addition to what the psychologists in the story talk about, is there anything else that needs to happen to redress this trauma? So while this story and this issue is undoubtedly psychological and affects a society primarily on that level, of course, real life practical um, issues have an effect on it. So if you know that there is a collective trauma that um, has come out of a particular situation, such as a pandemic or um, perhaps some kind of political issues, you can't just say um, to a society that it must heal with nothing changing in real life. One must still understand that the more that um, one does either as an individual or as leadership or even government to heal those original fault lines or those things that have contributed to a trauma, um, the, the more it will also psychologically lend itself to a healthier society. So um, in the case of COVID, this could be the kind of thing where we're talking about inequalities in terms of healthcare, or where people have maybe been left with long-term economic um, consequences of the pandemic and its lockdowns. Of course, while a society is trying to heal, if those inequalities are still present, it's going to be harder to do that. Mojapi mentions the role of leadership at the end of the piece. Can you elaborate a bit on that? So Mojapi speaks a lot about wounded leadership and the role that the individual psychology of leaders, uh, whether they are in governmental or even just social positions, how, how, how that individual psychology affects their ability to lead and ultimately the society because they are having an effect on our on schools, governments, uh, social groupings as a whole. So the main idea there is that if these spaces and these people in positions of power and positions of leadership can be brought to a healthy psychological space and supported in those spaces, that hopefully there will be a more positive effect on the society as a whole and on uh, 
the psychological unraveling or rather the unraveling of these psychological issues like a collective trauma. It's the idea that when you take care of a leader that that has a trickle-down effect or quite a wide-reaching effect on everything that their leadership touches. Elna Schutz is a news, health, and culture journalist in South Africa. Our theme music is by the Undark team, and additional music in today's episode is from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech. I'm your host, Lydia Chain. See you next month. <laughs>